This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit LizBruner.com and take your skills to the next level. What if you could know all you needed to know about how to live a full, joyful life by simply listening to your body and the truth of your emotions? My guest's journey from a chaotic home life, trauma, personal loss, to one of emotional recovery has led her on a mission to help others heal their own lives. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and I'm honored to introduce to you today Phoebe Leona, an author, speaker, dancer, teacher, and guide. Phoebe, welcome to my podcast. Oh, my goodness, Liz. Thank you so much for inviting me here today. Terrific to have you. Your book is entitled Dear Radiant One, Emotional Recovery Story and Transformational Guide to Embody the Dance of Life. It is so filled with honest, raw, powerful stories that trace many of the twists and turns of your childhood trauma and how that affected every relationship in your life. I know that you felt compelled (laughs) to write this book, as (laughs) grueling as it was. Why were you so compelled to write the book? I really felt called to write it first for my own healing, to make sense of all of the stories that unfold in the book. But then I said, okay, this also needs to be of service to the world in some way. That's really where we start was my own healing, somehow to just survive. And then how can I thrive and help others in that way? Let's kind of unpack some of all of this because there's a lot in this book. Growing up, you say that you felt unconditional love from both of your parents. However, Mm -hmm. there were many shadows lurking. You describe your dad as a hippie drug dealer who was also an addict, an alcoholic who suffered from PTSD after having served in Vietnam. Your mom finally left him and your parents get divorced. But also you were left to live with your father. How Mm -hmm. did you process that at such a young age? You know, when I look back at that moment when there was a choice to live with my father, to go with my mother, I don't even know who made the choice, but I also felt in my heart that I was supposed to stay at home and be there to have some sort of normalcy in my life. But I also, when I look back and I can see that little child, it was also that she was supposed to learn something. Her soul needed to learn something. And and part of that was a healing with her father. Mm-hmm. The so, fact that you even knew that at that age, even though you may not have been able to express those words, you knew yeah. it somewhere at an organic soul level that yeah. that's where you were supposed to be. Yeah. And what I think is also interesting, though, in hindsight, you write about the fact that that experience alone, among other things, made all of the relationships you had going forward confusing. Yes. And understandably so. <laughs> Explain a little bit about that. I felt so loved. I felt so unconditionally loved by my parents. Up until that point, you know, it was this beautiful threesome of us. You know, every time I entered the room, and I share this in the book, I would enter the room and there they were cuddling. And I would just say, Can I join it? And always, yes, arms open and I'd pile on. But then there were, as you said, these shadows. It was really hard to make sense of things. That's where, you know, sometimes children come from these childhoods where it's so clear they're not loved. Mm -hmm. There's so much of the parents' lack of self-love and self-worth 
that is reflected in their relationship with their children. And so it's so clear when they go into adulthood that they continue that story Mm -hmm. consciously and unconsciously. But because I had these confusing messages of feeling so loved unconditionally and had a really good sense of self-worth and self-love, but then these really like shadows that came seemingly out of nowhere made it really confusing. And I, and I talk a lot in the book about intuition, how I didn't even trust my intuition for a while because I thought, oh, I, here I am making these good choices, quote unquote. But then all of a sudden the shadow comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. um, in these different relationship choices that I made. That has been a true healing the past nine months as I've been unpacking everything of learning how to trust my intuition again. That's so hard for a lot of us. You talk about in the book, Dance, and it's also part of your story and and very much a part of the title, where you talk about you would spend hours alone in your bedroom, just dancing, just dancing, just dancing. What did that do for you? Honestly, I think it was dance that saved my life because when there were those shadows that came out, those shadows were my father just turning on a dime because of his PTSD, where all of a sudden he was loving and having a good time, but then drugs or alcohol or a flashback would take him into this state of rage out of nowhere. It was like, okay, I have to go find a place to be safe. So I would go to my room when I would start to learn where those signs were, where, okay, it's not going to be safe to be around daddy anymore. I'd go to my room, I'd close the door, I'd turn the music on, and I would dance. And it was my therapy. And at the time, I didn't know that. It was just, I want to have a happy time. (laughs) I was also working out those confusing thoughts, those feelings of my own anger, my own sadness, my own confusion. And the more that I've learned as an adult, this different somatic work and the work that I've learned through uh, trauma therapy and yoga, that was my saving grace. I was intuitively finding movement to express those emotions that I didn't know how to express, you know, out with words or in therapy or to my parents. And so it really was this space of expression of love for myself, of love for my people around me and trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. Somehow, despite all this chaos and and these shadows that you just talked about, you kept a lot of that pretty much a secret to the outside world and still somehow you're thriving in school. How did you manage to straddle both of those two worlds? I think it really was having this other life. You know, there is these straddling of two worlds. I was thriving in my school. I was getting straight A's. I was captain of palms. I was the lead in the musical, but then I would go home and have this very much chaotic home life. But I also had this third life, which was the dance. And it somehow brought them together and made sense of them so that when I was in school, and when I was also with my mother's family, you know, still my mother was present. My maternal side of my family was very present. I just ultimately made a choice of, okay, this isn't going to push me down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to thrive despite it all. You write in the book, and I quote, we all learn to speak the language of the body before mm-hmm. we even learn to speak. What do you mean by that? Think about when you were a baby (laughs) and we didn't have words yet, but we knew we wanted to be held. We put our hands up in the air. We might've even cried out for mom or whoever was nearby. When we were hungry, right? We'd also make different kinds of sounds when we're tired. 
So we were communicating already by listening to our body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We were just simply listening to what does our body need? What does our body want? And we were communicating. And then we found these words that sort of muck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sometimes they do. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's what I mean by that is that we were really listening to our body. At some point we got conditioned to, yes, to use words, but also to use them and think from basically from our head up and not see that our body is our soul expression. It's their way that we still communicate. What do we want? What do we need? But we think from you know just the head up and we forget to feel. What you're also talking about here too are the chakras. And you go into a lot of explanations about the chakras, which is a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but it is the way for our body that does speak to us. And when we are able to connect those dots and for you, I know you connected many of those dots now in hindsight, certainly, but you suffered many medical issues that you now know your body was speaking to you. And one of the stories that you share is how you knew your husband, who also happened to be a drug addict, like your father, was cheating on you before your mind knew it and accepted it. And it's so interesting because I think on some organic level, we know the truth, whether or not we're willing to see it, hear it, acknowledge it, whatever the case may be. Yes? Yes. You know, here I had up until then, I think I was mid thirties at that point and had a deep connection to my body through dance, through yoga. And I knew all of the things (laughs) in terms of understanding how to read the body and move the body. But it wasn't until my own story up close and personal where I was out with him and I knew already there was something that wasn't, I wasn't happy. We had just moved into my dream home a few months before. And actually was just speaking to a friend about this because another layer unfolded the other day. But I entered into that dream home and unconsciously I was like, hmm, I'm still not happy here. Why? But I didn't dig deeper because, oh no, we can't dig deeper. (laughs) That's That's too scary. (laughs) That is way too scary. But the beautiful thing is universe life did that for me. So fast forward to that event that you were referring to, I just felt this overwhelm of what we looked like an asthma attack that night when, when we met this person that he was seeing. And it wasn't until many, many months later where an acupuncturist told me about grief and how it's held in your lungs. And I, I started to put all of those dots together. And I was like, oh, my body knew. My mind didn't. There was something saying, mm, I'm not happy here. Why? But it really didn't click until I received that information and it turned that light on of how everything, all our body is, is actually our life partner. And it has these messages for us, but we look at it as like, oh, I have an injury in my shoulder because I carried this heavy bag for so many years. And we kind of get mad at our body. (laughs) Yeah, we do sometimes. You're right. (laughs) Bringing those sensations of pain. And so when we can start to lean in and decide, really see that, oh, our body is our messenger. It's telling us to pay attention. That's where things can shift. Your book touches on almost every emotion that a person can feel along the way (laughs) in life. Fear, abandonment, which you believe is a wound that many of us feel, to grief, resentment, loneliness, and so much more. And you do a lot of this through some very deeply felt personal letters that you wrote to yourself. How Mm -hmm. hard was it to write those letters? And how do you want the reader to use them? 
I've been a journal writer my whole life. That was another way of my therapy of making sense of things. You know, I use dance for the the nonverbal and then I tried to put it into words in my book. Honestly, I was kind of sitting there thinking, this story is really daunting. <laughs> I'm going to share some deepest, darkest secrets that I haven't even muttered outside of my journal. And I thought, ooh, how about that? How about I write a letter and I write letters to emotions, but it felt like I'm writing letters to this intimate friend. And that was my way in to be really vulnerable. And that was my way in to say, okay, I can really share a lot more than I first intended to. And my invitation for the reader is to look at that as an invitation into their own journey with the emotion of fear, of anger, even the lighter emotions of joy and gratitude that we sometimes push away because specifically, like if you have issues around self-worth or self-love and you don't feel that you deserve those lighter emotions, we push them away. So how can we befriend them? How can we invoke more of them? How can we negotiate our contract with them? Whatever it might be. And so that's what I, my hope is for the reader is to see it as an invitation to dance with these emotions and be really vulnerable with them. I want to touch on a few of the emotions that you write about. You mentioned anger a moment ago, and mm-hmm. you share how tears were your way of expressing your anger when you had no words. And I too personally can relate to that. And I write about it in my own book, Dare to Own You. Never feeling safe to speak your truth. Talk about that for a moment. Anger for me was an emotion that was really scary because my father had such rage and it just turned on a dime with the flashbacks and with the drugs and the alcohol, it just heightened that emotion. And so when I felt that anger, I was scared that I was going to turn into that monster that he was. And I saw how he hurt me. And I didn't want to hurt anybody else. And I caught myself, and I share a little bit about this, is I caught myself throwing stuffed animals into walls. And then it was my cat. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not good. And so I, I had a, basically a contract with myself, don't feel that feeling of anger. And so I pushed it down. And oh, there were so many years in therapy where she said, you're angry. You should be angry. Where is that? And I said, no, I'm fine with a big smile on my face. I mean, and I think I'll stereotype a little. I think as women, that is just naturally an emotion that we're not allowed to express because we, everything is fine. Everything is fine. And let's do this. And, you know, have our list, list of things to do to distract us from that anger and resentment. So I think it is a common emotion for us to, as women express through tears, because that's the easy way out in ways. It is. You touched on two other emotions. You've mentioned both fear and intuition, and you have strong intuition. You're an empath. How does one know the difference between fear and intuition? I'm still learning, Liz. (laughs) Aren't we all, Phoebe? Aren't we all? (laughs) I think that it's really experiencing it for yourself. So first you have to recognize what your fears are. And then to have a conversation, maybe it is that writing a letter to fear and saying, okay, is this valid? Is this a valid reason to fear? And then you do that little bit of negotiation. I love Elizabeth Gilbert and I quote her in the book too about fear being in the backseat, right? Can't 
change the radio or change the air situation. Got to sit in the backseat. You can't drive. That's where the intuition comes in is when we sit in that space where there is a potential scenario that might be something that you should be afraid of, but then say you can really pause and listen. And and intuition is that voice in your heart. That's just one word or just a couple of really short like mantra or short sentence. And that's where you say, okay, is this safe? Yes. No. But when it turns into the mind chatter of listing all of the 500 things that might go wrong, that is fear. That is ego just protecting you from something in the unknown. So true. All right. One other combination of words of of emotions, patience and trust, which you say are intimately linked. How so? So if we don't trust the situation, we become impatient because we think, oh, if this is really supposed to happen, then it has to happen now. (laughs) Or I need to see the evidence now. And then we start to get into the micromanaging of how it's going to start. It needs to come to fruition. And that's just that simple lack of trust. If we trust, truly trust that relationship, truly trust that scenario, we know that the timing will come. We know that if it's meant to be, it will arrive. It's so hard. It's so freaking hard. Ah. (laughs) It is so hard. I mean, it's just when I was reading that section, I'm like, oh, I can relate to this one. (laughs) All right, let's go on. At the end of each chapter, speaking of chapters, you have the let's check in sections. How do you Mm -hmm. want people to use these? Each chapter is that letter to an emotion. The first, well, actually it's second section is the darker emotions, the shadow emotions. And then the third section are the lighter emotions. So after each of those chapters is that check-in that you spoke of. I invite the reader to go through that chapter. It might be the chapter of fear. And then if you're feeling those feelings, whatever it is, wherever it is in your body, if it's your heart pounding, thinking about the past or what might be in the future that you've carried with you, then those check-ins are for you, right? You might go through something you're like, "Eh, I know how to handle my anger then just continue on. (laughs) Or maybe you see, oh, there's another way I could look at anger. And so those check-ins are really how to embody that emotion, but also how to release it if need be in a way that's healthy for you. Much of your healing came from your time in Costa Rica, which you describe Mm -hmm. as the beginning of your recovery and and a reset, if you will. What was that nine-month journey like for you? It was divine and divine isn't always pretty. Divine can be really messy. I don't even know how I really ended up there. I mean, I do. I know the logistics. I received an email from a retreat center and I went there, and I, but I was super lost and I had just left my job. And like there were all these moving parts that just put me front and center in this space of Costa Rica. And when I got there, it was this really beautiful, loving place. If you've ever been there, I mean, it feels like paradise, right? You have the jungle, you have the ocean, you have these beautiful animals, you have beautiful tropical fruit and people that are just so loving and saying Pura Vida everywhere. But then like when you're sitting there and it calls you into that space of healing, you also see those shadows come out, like all those shadows I hadn't really fully dealt with that I talk about in the book. They started to come out through these different relationships with people and like, okay, if I'm going to do this, we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Universe calls me here. So those nine months was like giving birth to a new me. Mm, What a wonderful analogy. I love that. 
You talked about dance being your therapy then, and it still is in many respects today and how you're helping other people. And, and for those who are listening, I want you to please go to her TEDx where you can see Phoebe dance and you can hear her story. It is so beautifully danced and told with your partner. It's just, it's, it's extraordinary. I want to jump to happy times because one of the things that you talk about is that we all have to activate play and you have a wonderful acronym for the word play, P-L-A-Y. So how can we all activate play in our lives, Phoebe? <laughs> Thank you for asking me that. That has been something I've been playing with <laughs> for the last <laughs> couple of years, especially during the pandemic. And so play, I'll first explain what play is. So P is pause. So pause whatever story it is that you, that's running, that, that belief system that's running, whatever that story is in your present life, pausing that. And then L is just simply to listen, listen to what wants to be born within you in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that might first come as a sensation. It might come through a sensation that's not comfortable. A is activate, activate how we actually want to feel at the end on the other side of it. When we go into this space of play, maybe that might be at the end of my, you know, however many minutes that I'm going to play, I want to feel calm and steady and relaxed. Or maybe it's, I really want to feel energized and joyful and silly and laugh, whatever it is you get to choose. And then why is just simply to say that full body? Yes to really surrender to it, to be completely ridiculous and silly with no agenda. Because I think so many of us always have to have an agenda, myself included. <laughs> it's like, what's the purpose of this? What is the, you know, what are the five things that we're going to do to accomplish this? It's a little type A, right? Maybe type AAA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like get rid of it in that space. For me, it might be journaling. It might be dancing. It might be watching a guided meditation, whatever it is for you to really lean into that emotion that you want to invoke in your body. And again, I go back to that L of listen to see what feels comfortable or uncomfortable and see that as the invitation, not of like it being an obstacle that we have to just like get grumpy around, but maybe that hip needs to move around a little bit because it's feeling stuck, whatever it is, to just see it as an invitation to dance with it. And you don't literally have to dance, but... (laughs) That's but you are still dancing today. How yeah. does dancing today feel versus when you were growing up as a child? My dancing today is very similar to when I was dancing as a child. Where it didn't feel like that was when I entered in the professional world. So I went to college for dance in Philadelphia. I went to New York City to become a big dancer, dance in multiple companies. And so I had all these great, beautiful opportunities and people that I love, my dearest friend that you saw in the TEDx, Dante Paleo, there was something missing there. If you've ever seen a dance or any sort of, you know, going to the theater, right? The dancer or the artist is up on this proscenium stage. The lights are on them. The audience is sitting in the dark, looking at this thing that's outside of themselves. And what I've noticed over the years is that there's a disconnection. Artists, and I'm, I'm a dancer, so that's my medium, but it could be a, an actor or singer or, or a musician, but we're simply a vessel of the divine. And not that it's outside of that audience member, it's actually a reflection of what's within them. I didn't feel that it was being translated, and I couldn't put that into words back then. I just felt like there was something missing. There's this disconnection. 
And so now I've retired several times from the professional world. (laughs) And when I came back, you know, I got this invitation back through TEDx and I said, I want to do this on my own terms. I want to get back to that dancer that just was this expression of my soul, but also the people around me and that I loved. I wanted that connection again. And how can I do that? And so that's where I developed my own movement practice and invited other people into their own movement and express it freely. And then I also use it a lot in my book readings now where I'm dancing the stories. And it's been a beautiful healing for myself and for the people who are participating, whether they are watching or they are moving their bodies too. And I have to say, it's been super impactful for those people because they realize, oh my God, I had a story inside of me. They're seeing that connection. And so that's a really beautiful experience to share with people. And I love the fact that you are now taking that passion of dance and using it to help other people get in touch with who they are and what their bodies are telling them through your programs and your services. You talk about writing that you needed several months to feel grounded again and safe again after you wrote it. And I can appreciate that. And I think it's probably why so many people have a hard time looking at their own demons and their own emotions and issues. It's very, very hard. So for you, I'm curious, as you put all of this together in your book, which is titled Dear Radiant One, why that title? That title, oh my gosh, it's had many different <laughs> variations. And I share one of them in the, at the very beginning. When I got to Dear Radiant One, I looked at, okay, I want this to be really simple because it really has to be unique and beautiful. Here I am, I'm writing these letters. And I'm thinking, oh, well, yeah, the whole thing is a letter. So who is the letter to? And the very last line that I I have in the book is shine on, radiant one, shine on. I said, ah, that's who I'm writing to. (laughs) So I thought, oh, beautiful, dear radiant one. Now, the beautiful thing is I didn't really think about it, but my name, Phoebe, actually means radiance. (laughs) I love that. There's so much synergy to all of that. Just it makes it so special. For all of you who are listening, I encourage you to get Phoebe's book, learn more about her and the transformational work that she is doing. Her book title is Dear Radiant One, Emotional Recovery Story and Transformational Guide to Embody the Dance of Life. And you can get in touch with Phoebe at phoebeleona.com. And that's P-H-O-E B-E-L-E-O-N-A.com. We'll have that in the show notes for people as well. Phoebe, thank you so much for, first of all, writing the book and for continuing to open your heart to the world and showing all of us that we have a choice and a chance to heal. It may not be easy, but we do have that choice. Thank you so much for today. Oh, Liz, thank you so much for having me here. It's such a joy to be with you and get to spend time with you and I just want to honor you too for what you bring to the world. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. May you find the courage to live in joy, to come out of your own shadows and into the light. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and fast twitch media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.